believe you're the savior of our soul. We believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brand, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. We believe in the power of the gospel. We believe you can transform every soul. We believe you're the Savior. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. And as we come to chapter 18, we come to one of the most absolute, clear, profound prophecies concerning Jesus Christ. And as Moses is speaking to the nation, preparing the next generation to go into the promised land, as he's wrapping things up, he he says this, really at the end of his life, he's going to step into eternity in a matter of days, really from the context of this message he's giving here in Deuteronomy. And he's addressing that next generation of Israelites that will go into the promised land. And he says this in verse 15, in the midst of saying that they're not like the people that are being cast out, but they are a people of covenant, which of course they are. The Jews had that Mosaic covenant relationship with God. And he says this in verse 15 of chapter 18. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear according to all you desired of the Lord your God in Oreb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, What they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren, and I'll put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing that does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously, you shall not be afraid of him. So in the overall context here, there's this broad context for Israel in their covenant. They would have many prophets, right? I mean, the prophetic books of the Old Testament would come after this time. So Zechariah, Haggai, Malachi, all of them, they all came after this. And then there's the prophets that weren't even in their own books, like Elijah and Elisha. And there's numerous other prophets mentioned in the Old Testament historical writings of 1 and 2 Kings and Chronicles and Samuel and whatnot. There are many prophets and they would need to be able to test the prophets. In fact, in the New Testament, we're told to test all things, hold fast that which is good. So the only way you can test things is by the word of God. And for them, they would test by the law of God, which they're receiving here through Moses, by the Holy Spirit, through Moses. So if someone speaks against the law of God, then they know that's not the Lord. God doesn't contradict himself. There's no shadow of turning with the Father of lights. But also these future prophets, if they spoke something and it didn't come to pass, then you knew they weren't a prophet. And so often with false prophets, they speak things to manipulate or control people and cause fear. And so even so that little parenthetical thought, you will not fear them because it didn't come to pass, so you know that they haven't spoken on behalf of the Lord. Now, with that background, there's a bit more insight in that 
in this context of a true, true prophets and false prophets, Moses says there'll be a prophet like me who will come from your midst and will be one of your brethren. And then he gives the context when God spoke to him and the people didn't want to hear the voice of the Lord. They were so terrified there at Oreb that Moses, the people said, we don't want to hear God. You're the mediator. And of course, we know that Moses is a mediator. He was the mediator between the nation of Israel and God. So Moses went up on the mountain, got the Ten Commandments. The people were down here. Don't touch the mountain. That kind of stuff. We know for the church, our mediator, of course, is Jesus Christ. He is the mediator that First Timothy talks about. There's no other mediator between humanity and divinity. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So Jesus is the mediator. Moses was a mediator of the Mosaic Covenant. Jesus is God, the Son of God, the mediator of the new and everlasting covenant. And that's why we come through him. For he said, no one comes to the Father, but through me. He's the mediator, and we understand that as the church. But in this context, where this is spoken, they historically had the situation where we're just holy God, sinful men. We're just, you, you go as our mediator. And there was great fear. And God said, that's a good thing that it's that way. So in the context, that's what happened. But in this context comes this prophecy concerning the prophet, not a prophet, the prophet, a prophet, capital P, and also called the prophet in the New Testament is a prophet. This is a clear prophecy concerning Jesus Christ. And as scripture interprets scripture, we understand looking at the New Testament When John the Baptist came on the scene and was baptizing, it was the most radical thing for the nation of Israel in hundreds of years. From the time that Ezra and Nehemiah and all the captives came back from Babylon around 425 B.C., they rebuilt the temple, they rebuilt the walls with Nehemiah and all that. They were there in their land of covenant for almost 400 years. Alexander the Great had come to power after the Medo-Persians, which were after the Babylonians, which were after the Syrians. And Israel had been oppressed by all these different global world powers. And Alexander the Great, when he passed away, his empire was divided into four segments. One of those segments being the Seleucid Empire, which ruled over modern Syria and Israel. And it was during that time that we have what we call the Apocrypha books, the Intertestament period, which includes the Maccabeans, the famous Maccabean revolt. And that was a pretty big deal when they they revolted because of a false... Uh, sacrifices made in the temple and the people revolted and led a rebellion and they they fought that and then eventually Rome came to full power and occupied the land which of course brings us to the time of Christ so imagine for hundreds of years there really was no formal oracle of God to the people from the last book of the Old Testament hundreds of years intertestament period there was the Maccabean revolt which was pretty awesome if you're Jewish But there really had been silence. So John the Baptist comes on the scene, and he's preaching, and people are going to him. He doesn't have to go to them. They're they're coming to him. God's doing this great work. He is fulfilling the ministry spoken by Isaiah the prophet around 730 B.C. that a messenger would come and would prepare the way of the Lord. So John the Baptist is there baptizing people a baptism of repentance that people are coming It disrupts the religious hierarchy of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and their organized religion, how they interpreted things as well, contrary to the context of the scriptures. And there he was, and they were upset because he didn't come from the Sadducees or the Pharisees or the scribes. And so the religious leaders went out to him there, and the New Testament tells us, they said, hey, are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? 
So the religious leaders questioning John the Baptist of his credentials and who he is, they asked him, are you this guy? They asked John the Baptist, are you this guy in Deuteronomy 18? Are you the one that Moses said would be a prophet like him? Are, that was their understanding. Are you that guy? Are you the Messiah? Now, they drew a distinction in their questioning of John the Baptist in John's Gospel, chapter 1. They drew a distinction between the prophet and the Messiah. But, of course, we know they're one and the same. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, that fulfills everything from Passover and all the sacrifices. And, behold, I've seen bear witness, this is the Son of God. That fulfills many other prophecies. So he puts those two together and says, Jesus is God and he is the Lamb of God. And on that day when they questioned John, are you the prophet, this prophet? He says, I'm not. I'm the the voice of one in the wilderness. That's who I am. But later on, when Jesus is risen from the grave and he's talking to his apostles in his resurrected body, he said that he had to fulfill the scriptures, the law the Psalms, and the prophets. And he opened their mind to understand the scriptures and he walked them through it. That's recorded for us in Gospel of Luke chapter 24. Then, after the church's birth on the day of Pentecost with Peter's preaching and everything happens there and the church's birth and there's thousands of believers in Jerusalem, early on, when they heal the man that couldn't walk, they're preaching. And Peter says concerning Jesus that he is the prophet of Deuteronomy 18. So Peter in the New Testament tells us that this person being spoken of prophetically by Moses is none other than Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. That's in Acts chapter 3. Then in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen the martyr, who was one of the original seven servants in the local church, no one could refute the wisdom that he had. And as he is going through the entire Old Testament before he's about to be martyred for his faith, he says that Jesus is the prophet of Deuteronomy 18. So the religious leaders suspected that John the Baptist was the prophet because they hadn't seen anything like that in 400 years, that kind of prophetic ministry. He goes, no, no, I'm not the prophet. I'm I'm the voice of the one preparing the way of the Lord. And then the apostles who taught what we call the apostles' doctrine their understanding by the Holy Spirit to understand how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament, they said that Jesus is the prophet. He's that prophet. So with Scripture interpreting Scripture, we understand tonight, gathered as a church of Jesus Christ, he being the head of the church and us being the body, that this text is speaking of Jesus Christ. He fulfills this passage. And now as we think about this for our lives and as the church in 2021, we see all kinds of storm clouds around us that... uh, are very grievous for those that are born of the Spirit and very concerning for those that are Spirit-filled. There are dark clouds, but we know that Jesus is on the throne and there are things that would unsettle us, but as Paul the Apostle said, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to me. That's a good place to be because then these things don't move you. We look at this text in light of who we are. We're the church. If you're not giving your life to the Lord, you're not the church, but you can be the church through faith in Jesus Christ and receiving him as Lord, which is where we're going to go with this passage throughout the night. A prophet is one who speaks for God. That's the understanding of a prophet. The oracles that that speaks for God. 
Moses spoke for the Lord. There had never been anyone like him in human history that spoke for the Lord. He's attributed as being the author of the five books of Moses, the record of origin, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He's the prophet. He's the prophet that wrote those things. And the scribes for hundreds of years, even to this day, maintained that went from the oral tradition to the written tradition of which we have the received text of the Old Testament. It's been preserved. But as we understand from Colossians that all things were pointing toward Christ, everything was a shadow of substance of things to come, which is Jesus Christ. And as he said, he fulfills the law, the Psalms, the poetic books, and the prophetic books. So as great as Moses was the lawgiver, Jesus is much more of a prophet in that he's the absolute prophet speaking for God. Jesus is truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one goes to the Father but through me. So as a prophet... His truth. Now, they would test prophets. We can test prophets whether it comes to pass. For example, John Charles Russell, the founder of Jehovah's Witnesses, the Watchtower Society, he lived during the early 1900s, and he prophesied the world would end in the 19-teens and into the 20s. Because of World War I, a lot of people thought the world was going to end. It did not end. He said it would end. Therefore, we know he's a false prophet and we don't need to fear what he says or what the watchtower does. Never mind, they have a, a different, they have a perverted Bible translation. They have a perverted Jesus and perverted gospel. The real issue is to just measure things and test all things. He said the world would end in 1917, and it didn't. So we know that's, that's, that's what I can say. He's a religious person who prophesied things that didn't come to pass. He would be a false prophet. It's an easy test to measure things by. Jesus, everything Jesus said came to pass. Everything Jesus said came to pass. Everything spoken of Jesus in the Old Testament has come to pass or will come to pass in full fruition with his second coming. So the idea of a prophet is that someone's speaking for God. Now, there's many religious organizations who claim to speak for God. There's many world religions, a God, gods. But what did Moses even say in the text? Hey, if they speak for any God or gods, that's not the Lord God. What God has to say to all humanity Now, they were the people of covenant. No other nation was set apart with God like Israel. Israel was entrusted with the scriptures. Israel was entrusted to bring from their genetic line through the Virgin Mary, Jesus Christ, who would be born of a virgin and be a Jew of the house of Abraham, the house of Israel, the house of Judah. All those things came to pass. He will come from amongst you. He's a carpenter, Nazareth. A nothing city. He came from among them. What do we read about Jesus? The common people heard him gladly. He was one of them. He didn't walk around like the Pharisees or the high priest with political power looking down on people. He washed their feet. He served the people. He was from among the people, and the common people heard him gladly. He spoke the language of the common people. The Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Plain, Luke chapter 6, the, the flatlands there, just so simple. The multitudes came to him. He spoke for God. He was Jewish. The genealogy of Jesus Christ is established in chapter 1 of Matthew and chapter 2 of Luke to make that very clear. So the idea that he would come from amongst the brethren, he'd be one of them, is all fulfilled in his genealogy. And it's the first credential Matthew uses in his gospel to prove to a Jewish person that Jesus is the Christ. you got to prove he's, he's Jewish. And that's why the first chapter of Matthew has the genealogy for Jesus that way. Now, 
it says here concerning this message that the prophet, a prophet will come. If you think about it, this is a prophetic word itself. This is a prophecy that a prophet's going to come, like Moses. This is also a teaching because it says whatever that prophet says, once you identify that prophet, you need to listen to everything he says. So when you know that prophet's there, you need to listen to everything he says because he speaks for the Father. It's also a warning that for those who don't listen to everything he says, they'll give a reckoning for it. So it's a prophetic word of a prophet coming. It's a teaching to hear what the prophet says. And that's also an exhortation. And it's a warning. So we can take this passage for the nation of Israel. We know they say, we'll not have this man rule over us, right? We have no king but Caesar. These are the things they said. But we know there in the New Testament, in Romans chapter 1, that the gospel is for the Jew first and then the nations, the Gentiles. Jesus is first the king of the Jews, and then he's the king of kings and lord of lords. He came in his first coming to fulfill those scriptures and to die and give his life a ransom. And he comes in his second coming to rule and reign over the universe because he's lord of the universe. Because this prophet, all things are made by him and for him, and him all things consist. Now, as the prophet, and what was said for, for Israel, when the apostles went out with this message of the prophet, because they pointed people to Jesus, to the relationship with him, and to the, his teachings, and the overall word of God, we know that. But what was true for Israel became true for the nations, Because the gospel is to be preached to every creature, Jesus said. It's to be preached to all nations. We are his witnesses in our local area, our regional area, and to the ends of the earth. Acts 1.8, the church. Contextually, what it meant for Israel to them right here and how it played out when Jesus came, fulfilling it, it goes beyond that to humanity. This passage is a prophetic word for every nation outside these walls. And there's hundreds of them. And they sometimes change their names, right? Remember Czechoslovakia? <laughs> How about Yugoslavia? Right? They change names. Different ethnic groups, different places. You have the Czech Republic, now Slovakia. All that stuff. It just That's how it works. The world is made of, of thousands of different ethnic group, people groups and tribes. And Jesus said to go to all nations and all people with the good news. And that's what the church has been doing since the apostolic age. And that's what we are still doing this day as a church this night in unity with the global body of Christ to preach the gospel worldwide to lead people to Christ. So whether it's a favorable country where it's fairly uh, non-threatening to give your life to Christ, like Australia and England or somewhere like that where you might get a hard time for it, but uh, they're not burning you at the stake yet, or a high pressure area or difficult area like Syria, China, where you can be obviously in a death camp, essentially. This is the world that we are in right now as a church, and we have this prophet who's over us tonight. That's who I serve. That's my boss. That's, that's the head of the church. We're all the body, but he's the head. We're not a community like a world's community. We're the body of Christ, and he's the head. He's the prophet he changes us by the Spirit. He, the Spirit confirms to us He is the Christ, the Messiah. We give our life to Him. We're born of the Spirit. We 
He's working in us and through us to fulfill his calling in our life. And that working in and through us is to love God, love our neighbor, and to advance the gospel in words and actions and deeds. That's who the church is. If we lose Jesus in our head, we're nothing. We're just another community with meaningless purpose, meandering in a dark black hole of the human experience. But that's not who we are with the church, and Christ is the head. He's the prophet, and he does speak, and we do listen, and we do care, and we do serve, and we're looking to fulfill. Now, with that context, we realize it says, him you shall hear. Him you shall hear. Well, that's fairly simple, right? Like, we're looking at this text in application for the body of Christ tonight. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice, they hear me, and they follow me. Him, you shall hear. Like when you give your life to Christ and you, you're born again, as this, the Bible says that you, you turn of your sins and you ask Christ to come in. Well, it says in the Gospel of John chapter 1, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. So we don't have a relationship with Christ because our parents went to a state church, like the Lutheran church or Anglican church or Russian Orthodox church or... Egyptian Coptic Church, we're not, we're not, or the Catholic Church, we're not saved that way. We have to have our personal faith, right? We understand that. As many as received him, he gave them the right to become the children of God. Not born of the flesh, not born of blood, not born of the will of man, but born of God by the Spirit. And that's why Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you'll die in your sins. You must be born again. And you're not going back in your mother's womb. You must be born from above born of the spirit. Peter described that for us there in first Peter saying that like as newborn babes, we desire the pure milk of the word having been born again. We have a new nature. We desire spiritual things. So if we've received Christ, as it says in John chapter one, we're going to desire the word of God because that's the milk. And everyone knows with an infant, the infant will let you know when it wants to feed all the time. It's a natural desire to want food. It's one of the drives that God gives us. And infants want the milk. They want their, they want the formula, whatever the case is, they, they want. It's a natural thing. And Peter the Apostle tells us with the Holy Spirit that when we've received Christ, we're going to want the word of God. So Jesus is the, the prophet. He's the one. It says, him you shall hear. So he's the source. And then the word is the word of God that he fulfills. And then the warning about being accountable for it. So him you shall hear. Let's think about this. All the voices going on out there. Him you shall hear. If your kids go away to college for four years, they'll hear many voices. They'll have different professors that influence them, campus groups, fellow students, blogs that they have to take part in. And there'll be a marketplace of thought, but usually with cancel culture, as we call it now, where they'll... Any thought is welcome except thoughts that hold people accountable to Jesus Christ. And you say, is that really so? Like, I've read that. I've heard that. Is that really so? Let me tell you, all four of my children have been through extensive college education. And without exception, whether it was at OCC Junior College or at a Christian college at Grand Canyon University, my children were relentlessly bombarded with the cancel culture, PC culture agendas that are destroying and have been destroying our nation and will ultimately probably destroy our nation if things don't turn around. My son showed me his blogs with communist students. I'm like, you really have students that are communist? Yeah, look, right here. And they hated Luke because they wanted to cancel him because his source of worldview and his participation in class blogs was based upon Christ as the authority of truth. 
him you shall hear. So he articulated Jesus Christ and a Christian worldview in that marketplace. And it was not allowed or shouted down. But the sources of other worldviews, like Karl Marx's worldview, or Lenin and Stalin's worldviews that would go with that, they were not only allowed, they were espoused and furthered. In fact, when he went to Grand Canyon University, he had a very open communist teacher. I said, how do you go to a Christian college that you're paying for, and you have a professor that's openly communist? Can you walk me through? I was like, that's nothing. I got God trained me for this at OCC. I'm good. So, you know, GCU might say, well, in the marketplace of thought, we want to expose our kids to all these different things, and maybe to be accredited, they have to expose them, you know, like who knows how tenured and all that kind of stuff is. I don't know. I just know my son went to GCU, a Christian college, and had to sit through a communist, openly communist professor propagating communist agenda to Christian kids like our high schoolers who go away to college. That I know. That I know. So, There's a battle for the minds, and there's a battle for the next generation. Of course, Lincoln said the next generation, whoever educates the public school system has the next generation. Abraham Lincoln said that. The Bolsheviks, the Soviet Union, clearly understood this. One of the things that many of you know, my son Luke went to China for a mission trip. He learned Mandarin. He speaks Mandarin. He reads Mandarin. He understands it very well. He has a photographic memory. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brandt. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed.